have taken your first step into a larger world. Hello there, I'm Rowan Williams and welcome to Force Material for our discussion of the first two episodes of The Bad Batch. Now my usual co-pilot, Baz McAllister, can't be with us for this episode, so I've brought in a big gun. I'll be joined this episode by an award-winning journalist and broadcaster making his second appearance on this podcast that you probably know from his work on shows like Good Morning America, World News Tonight and Nightline. In his time as ABC's resident Star Wars fan, He took us behind the scenes of Skywalker Sound and ILM time and time again, gave us one of our first looks at Galaxy's Edge, and even sat down for an intimate chat with Mark Hamill and his family. He is, of course, Clayton Sandell. Clayton, welcome back to the show, mate. Well, thank you for having me. And, you know, your hardcore fans probably know this. You're in Brisbane. I'm in Denver. You're, it's like 11 p.m. It's almost midnight where you are. It's <laughs> 7 a.m. where I'm at. But what, this, is what I, this is what I love about it. And uh, I'm going to see if this microphone can get a little closer here. But uh, this is what I love is that, uh, you know, Star Wars fans will come together at any hour of the day uh, from all over the planet. Yeah, to talk about this thing that we love, and uh, so yeah, I'm I'm uh, happy to be here for the second time. Thanks for having me. No worries, man. Thanks for thanks for being here. Yeah. Now, uh, you gave Star Wars fans everywhere a bit of a gift this week by putting all of your Star Wars coverage that you've done over the years, or, or at least you know a lot of it, in in one place on uh, on your website, ClaytonSandell.com. There's a lot of great stuff there for behind the scenes junkies, which pretty much everyone who listens to this pod uh, would be, I would imagine. <laughs> Which of those pieces was the most enjoyable for you to film? Oh my gosh. Uh, it's a good question. I, you know, and it, it was funny because I sort of compiled them there in one place just because uh, there were so many of them and, and there are still ones that uh, I know are out there. And I, I had started this process to just sort of make a list of everything that uh, I had done in the star Wars realm. And uh just thought, well, Star Wars Day is coming up. May as well stick them in one place. I had them kind of in a in a like a word document, and that's the only place I'd, I'd really ever cataloged them. And I thought, well, why not just put them all in one place? But uh, you know, the 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 biggest one for me, I think, is probably the Force of Sound, which I think mm-hmm. we talked about before. But that's our thirty minute. We kind of took a thirty minute uh, look. Uh, really just kind of taking people behind the gates of Skywalker Ranch to to the tech building at Skywalker Sound where uh, we meet Matt Wood and Ren Kleiss, the sound designers on uh, The Last Jedi, who kind of walk us through how they uh, created um, all of the iconic uh, sounds and moments from, from that movie. And we even mm-hmm. walk around with... Uh, Koya Elliott, who uh, is a sound recordist there, that, uh, uh, that in fact the piece starts out with uh, her showing us or walking to the uh, to the chicken coop there at Skywalker Ranch, where she recorded these uh, the, these these uh, Skywalker Ranch chickens that eventually became the core sound uh, of the Porg. So that was kind of cool, right? So was, yeah, sort of fun, sort of behind, fun pulling of the curtain. Uh, back a little bit to to go to Skywalker Ranch, and then uh, I don't know. It, it, from there, it's there's a, there's a whole bunch of 
close seconds. I, I think I, I really liked the piece we did for Nightline uh, a few years ago when we followed a, a group of fans who were making a fan film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was kind of fun. And uh, uh, and then I, the, the, one that's just sort of a goofy favorite of mine is uh, we went to ILM after uh, Solo uh, premiered and uh, talked to Rob Bredo and some of the James Klein, some of the folks at, at ILM to uh, kind of explore a lot of the visual effects of Solo. But one little segment that was kind of fun was this debate over how many landing gear the Millennium Falcon is supposed to have <laughs> mm-hmm. and how it changed from movie to movie and then how they decided to sort of rectify and explain why there's a difference in landing gear uh, and how they how they address that in Solo. So that's kind of fun. On that note, I mean, you're obviously a very experienced journalist. You do a lot of, you know, real news when you're not doing Star Wars <laughs> stuff. You've been in all sorts of high-pressure situations, but was it hard to keep you cool when you sat down at the table with Mark oh. Hamill? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, completely and totally. I mean, there's no... You know, you, you you can feel your blood pressure go up. You're starting to sweat. Yeah, I I totally get nervous. Um, and, and I've, in fact, for years, you know, I'd met Mark Hamill a few times now um, over the years, but I had never, up until about the time The Rise of Skywalker came out, I had never met Harrison Ford. And I, I will tell you, he was sort of my, I considered him kind of my my white whale. Like I I I was dying to meet Harrison Ford. And as a kid, of course, you know, I I dressed up as Indiana Jones like three times in a row on Halloween. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, I had all the stuff and and of course, uh, Han Solo, Indiana Jones, the whole bit. And then as to add insult to injury, my great aunt who lived in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, would see Harrison Ford at like the hardware store. <laughs> like he lived up there, you know, maybe still has a place up there. I don't know, but you know, he would just show up at the hardware store and she would see him at the hardware store and then tell me about this later. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> so, you know, he was somebody that I always wanted to meet. And so I finally caught up with him at the premiere for rise of Skywalker. And he was standing there and I, uh, actually introduced myself, um, and and made note we have a mutual friend in the aviation industry Mm -hmm. and so we started talking about pilot stuff and but i was so nervous and i could feel myself getting more nervous as time went on and (laughs) my wife my wife is standing there and i managed in the course of a, a a couple of minutes to introduce harrison ford to my wife like twice And of course, then he and my wife are then making fun of me, which is just <laughs> amazing, uh, amazing little moment. But yeah, no, you there's, there's you can't help it. You, you can't help it. Yeah, I, at least me. I, I mean, these are you know these are these are just the the icons of my childhood and and adulthood. So yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I th- it, look. It sounds like you handled yourself pretty well. All things uh, all things considered. Uh, it was ugly there for a while, but it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 was, he was very gracious and nice and, uh, you know, everything you would expect uh, Harrison Ford to be. So that was cool. Yeah. So in terms of Lucasfilm animation, like what's, what's, you, what's your background? Like were you a big fan of the Clone Wars from day one? Did it take you a while no. to get into it? No, it took me a while to get into it. I, I did not follow the Clone Wars when it came out. Um, 
followed Rebels more closely um, mm-hmm. when it came out. Um, but no, I, I was, I was, not, I, I think I sort of had this attitude that it was, uh, uh, that it was, it was a cartoon, that it was for kids, mm-hmm. uh, that it wasn't worth. You know, I was, you know, into the movies. I wasn't a big fan of the prequels. Um, going back, so I, I really, when it came out, didn't have a huge interest in watching it, and that. That changed over time, and uh, uh, you know the the animation itself. If you're talking about the animation and the look of it and the style of it, has gotten uh, leaps better mm. than than it did when it when it started. I was actually this second episode, which I know we're going to talk about, but there's a, a shot in this second episode that is just such a wonderfully cinematic moment uh, that I don't think we saw in some of the earlier earlier uh episodes so so i'm happy to say that over time uh i've i've come to appreciate the clone wars more um and how it all how it all ties in i love that we kind of got a flashback i i believe it's the first time we've seen uh scenes from revenge of the sith sort of depicted in an animation form yeah there's stuff in the in the final clone wars arc there's stuff that obviously crossed over in terms of yeah you know time or whatever but yeah i don't think we saw like specific moments yeah. animated like that so that's fun so that and that sort of goes to this um what i think has helped build my appreciation is the way that they have kind of like that kind of weaving these different pieces of the star wars fabric together into this giant tapestry that that kind of makes you appreciate the other parts uh, more than maybe you did yeah, no, I and I, I was sort of the same as you with with Clone Wars, where like I saw the the you know where they brought out the movie. Yeah, you know I, I didn't didn't really get into that, and and I never I guess because of that didn't sort of come back to it for you know a few years. Yeah, and yeah, it was only kind of really towards the end, like in that weird period when you know it had finished airing and like it was on Netflix and Disney Plus hadn't picked right. it up to do uh, the final season that I actually went back and watched it all. And, and yeah, yeah. as you say, the anim- you could see the animation improving like season after, after season. And then to the point where when they got to this final season that, it, that just aired on, on Disney Plus last year, I mean, that's, for me, that's some of the best Star Wars there is. And, and I was actually surprised yeah. almost that they came back to this era, um, you know, after victory and death, the last episode of the Clone Wars, because that felt like such a perfect farewell to that era for me. Oh. Like, were you surprised at all to see them come back? That epic ending? No, but you're right. That that ending with, with Ahsoka and that that whole scene was felt very felt very final, felt very mm. and appropriately so. I, I mm. thought it was uh, visually visually just just wonderful. Um, yeah, this does feel, you know, and and I, I I did have that feeling that this does feel in a way like a step back, uh, 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 rehashes maybe the wrong word, but it is interesting to now go back to something that we thought was sort of final. It all felt very Clone Wars to me. When Tom Kane's voice popped up, it was like, oh. I mean, okay, here we go. This is this is like, and and they even the sort of conscious use of the Clone Wars logo that then yeah. burns burns into the Bad Batch logo. I mean, there was obviously um, uh, something they they felt was unfinished. <laughs> Some <laughs> something uh, something about that that era that they they wanted to go back to and handle and finish. Um, 
you know, I don't, I don't know, uh, I, I don't know why exactly they chose to, to go back, but I just think there was there were more stories to be told. Yeah, yeah, that that use of the logo and, and the Tom Kane voiceover for episode one was so interesting because. You know, it could have gone either way with this, right? Like they could have, they could have said, like, no, you know, it's in the same period as the Clone Wars, but it's completely different to the Clone Wars or yeah. whatever. Right? But they they embraced it and were like, look, people are saying, you know, this is basically Clone Wars season eight, and so yeah, open yeah. with the Clone Wars logo and the and the Tom Kane voiceover and and you know didn't sort of hide from that at at all. But this is an interesting part of the timeline to explore in the sense that, like, I I, I don't I can't really think of a lot of stuff. Um, especially, you know, certainly anything that's really still in canon about the early days of the Empire, like those first sort of few days after, you know, the events of Revenge of the Sith and as the Empire is kind of being established and the galaxy is figuring out, like, what's going on. Yeah, you know, it's, it was interesting. I, I had a, 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 watching them go back and, and, and revisit uh, Order 66 uh, was fascinating because we've seen it in a couple different uh, uh, iterations, but. I had a friend say, you know, they can, they can rewarm order 66 as much as they want yeah. here for it every <laughs> single time. And you know, I think, I think he has a point. It's, it's like, you know, one of the, you know, any event which deals with, um, such a significant galaxy wide extermination of, of the Jedi, I think is something that, uh, is worth going back and looking at for, for, for storytelling purposes, there's a lot of different angles you can you can take a look at it from. So yeah, it's fine. I, I didn't mind it. What did you um what did you think of the Bad Batch when they were first introduced in in that uh first arc of the final season? I actually the liked them Wars? a lot. Yeah, they were they were actually my favorite part of uh I think that final season. They were they were a, a cool addition and uh so I was I was looking forward to the show coming out and having them kind of stand on their own. Yeah. I thought I thought they were a lot of fun. Did it feel like a backdoor pilot to you? Like when you saw that arc, were you just like, <laughs> clearly they're setting these up for their own show or was it was, sort of a surprise? I was trying to remember, did, did we not, they didn't announce the Bad Batch until after they had appeared for the first time, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure because I remember when the announcement came out, like person, like, you know, I, yeah. I didn't love them in that season. So I was like, oh, okay. So like that, that arc had definitely been out there when they announced it. Okay. Yeah. No. I. I. Uh, I, I did like him, and I, I. I guess I didn't really think about whether it could have been a, a pilot or not. But I guess now looking back, it makes total sense. It was probably you know it was like a test balloon pilot sort of. Yeah. 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 Well, it's funny though. But with them, with the lead times they work with in animation as well, you almost go like like it's a backdoor pilot. But also, if it had come out and everyone had been like, "We hate these guys," they would have been like, <laughs> "Well, yeah, <laughs> too yeah. bad." Yeah. Exactly. Already made a right. season of them. Right, we're, we're we're too late. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, they must have had them in the works. I can't imagine uh, that yeah. they did. So yeah, it's um the characters themselves are uh, interesting in the sense that it feels like a very deliberate choice they've made to go with these very kind of like stock cartoon character archetypes, right? Like the you've got you know Wrecker, like you've got the big oh, guy yeah, who's yeah. kind of dumb, and the guy with glasses who's like a genius and you know your rambo type guy in the in the lead like it it's very sort of classic like cartoon shorthand like they're and yeah i'm wondering like is that is that so that like kids could easily latch on to these sort of very broad character types that they recognize or if they're setting up something more interesting like do you sort of have any thoughts on that 
I think it, I think it's the A team in space. I mean, yeah. this is, you know, this is, this is, yeah, you gotta each, each one has their own little personality quirks and you, you latch onto them. And yeah, look again, I think these shows are made for kids and yeah. it's, it's sort of a perfect setup. And, and like you said, they are, uh, each one just has sort of their, their goofy quirks and you can identify uh, you y- you can find something to identify with in each of these characters. So, yeah, I think if you're, uh, and I know adults are enjoying the show, but if you're a kid watching this show, like I-, I think my mind would would be blown. I'd be like, oh man, Wrecker is just so you know. There's like there- there's a little Wrecker in all of us. There's a little Crosshair in all of us. Of course, Hunter. You know, I, I remember finally being old enough to to watch like rambo 2 when i was a kid and he's like he's like right there he, he's got the look he's got the, the the somebody somebody on that show was a fan of uh of, of john rambo 100 percent. so uh yeah no i think you can you can certainly find something that uh that, that sort of sticks with each of those characters yeah i'm really curious where they take it because yeah. like yeah they they might they might just stay you know, pretty much the same as they are now. But then you look at some of the other Filoni shows, like you look at the way like Ahsoka evolved over the course of the Clone Wars or, um, you know, even with Rebels, the way that some of those characters sort of grew over the course of the series, like, or even with Mandalorian, the way that the Mando grew over the course of those first two seasons. Like, I guess I'm hoping that, to me, the characters feel very sort of deliberately two-dimensional right now. Um, And I'm hoping that, you know, by the time we get, like, let's say the series runs, you know, is a success and runs for years. My hope is that by the time we get to the last episode, these characters are almost unrecognizable from what they are now. Like, because, you know, these guys were essentially created by the the cloners and, and had these specific attributes amplified and were sort of told, like, this is what you do. And now they're going out into the galaxy by themselves and can start to like develop their own personalities and find out what they actually want to do outside of like, you know, mm-hmm. you're the computer guy or you're the strong guy yeah. or whatever. Right. Um, and yeah, I just think like if we, you know, and maybe that's not what this show is about. Like maybe it is, you know, sometimes a spade is a spade and it is just like, it's the A team in space and, and these guys are, this is we're pretty locked into who they are. But um, yeah, given that, you know, Filoni's involved and, yeah, I, I just I, I I think it'll be interesting to sort of track the development of these guys over the course of the show. Yeah, and I think and I think in this episode too, you kind of see this this moment uh, on Onderon. Say say that three times fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wh- where they are, th- their entire worldview is is being questioned. Right, like everything has Order sixty six has happened. They're confused about why that happened. Mm. What's going on? you know, who's in charge, uh, Republic versus the empire, like all these, all these things are going on and all of these things that they think they believe and know once mm. they meet, once they meet Saw Gerrera and my wife from the other room was like, Saw Gerrera's in this episode. <laughs> um, once they, once they, um, once they, they, it's, it's just this turning point, right? And I guess it was the first episode, not the second, but they have this, this turning point where just their entire, everything is turned upside down. And so mm-hmm. now, now it's like, they have to, they have to figure it out. And like you said, now, now they can maybe uh, evolve 
a little mm -hmm. bit and and now they're going to have to sort of deal with this new reality that they're that they find themselves in and uh, and and maybe that will maybe that will make a huge difference in in how they're they break out of those little two-dimensional archetypes like you were talking about yeah, I think the parallels with Amanda are really interesting as well in the oh, yeah. sense that this show is, it looks like after two episodes is early, but it looks like Hunter's sort of emerging as the lead character The the and his relationship with Omega looks like it's going to be sort of the, the heart of the show. And so then you kind of go, okay, well, this is very similar to what we've seen over the first two seasons of The Mandalorian with, you know, in The Mandalorian, you've got this guy who was essentially raised in a cult and is yeah. now kind of finding out who he is out and sort of seeing, you know, essentially going on the run and, and seeing the galaxy with new eyes as someone who sort of breaking out of those teachings a little bit or, you know, piece by piece is, is evolving beyond them. Um, at the same time that he's sort of raising this child who Grogu, just like Omega, you know, is very powerful, could go either way, needs a positive influence to sort of set them on the right path. So it's kind of this nature versus nurture thing again. And, and just like Mando, it's interesting because it's like, it's nature versus nurture, but not just with Grogu or Omega like that. It applies just as much to, you know, the, the mentors, the ones doing the teaching because they're seeing, you know, they're also, getting the chance to kind of define their personalities for the first time as well. Yeah. It, it is interesting to see uh, that, that basic, um, that basic framework of, mm. of, like you said, the, the sort of person who comes from this, this militaristic sort of violent world and background is now uh, thrust into uh, being a dad. I mean, mm. it, and it's, it's, uh, this this second episode was fascinating to see that because now Hunter is sort of observing this cuts cuts family right and yeah. getting getting his first kind of taste of of life after cloning or you know life after life after the military and uh, it's it's very almost in the same way that Mando you know, in the episode sanctuary, for example, yeah, hundred percent. Like could a lot, could, you know, wanted to leave him behind, uh, has been trying to sort of find a family for Grogu. Yeah. Same thing with Hunter. He, he wants Omega to stay with cut and his family. Um, but at the same time, seeing cut and his family sort of really something starts that, that ice starts to, <laughs> to melt around his heart. I think and he sort of, starts to, to, to see what, uh, to, to, you know, they, they become this little family unit. I, I saw it, uh, somebody online was saying, this is like Mandalorian 2.0. And it's true that there are so many, uh, so many similarities and, and parallels here. So the question is, and what, what do you think? I, I don't know. So, you know, is Omega going to be force sensitive? Is that like too obvious? I, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, there's so many wild theories floating around, right? And that, that first episode, you know, there, there's theories that she's somehow connected to like Palpatine or to Ray right. or whatever, and that it'll all sort of connect up. I, I, I mean, I have no idea. Definitely that first episode seemed to be throwing out the possibility that she was force sensitive. Like it, she seemed to have a little bit of like, you know, when she's talking to Crosshair and she's like, I know, I know what you're going to do. Like, you know, and that, 
that that kind of yeah. thing, or the you know the way that she was sort of just instinctively able to shoot the gun out of out of Crosshair's hands at the at the end. I mean, clearly there's something going on here. Yeah, that 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 was Omega's moment, right? Firing that that perfect, picking up that blaster, firing that perfect shot, followed yeah. by the sort of reaction that she gets and the music cue that yeah. is our cue, telling us. This is a key moment. This is a very important thing that you just saw happen here. We, yeah. we're, sign, we're signposting it for you. If you didn't notice, <laughs> it um, and it really does, uh, it really does confirm that there's something special about Omega. We just don't know what it is yet. I guess. Yeah, it's, and I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of hesitant to, to, to jump onto the, the fan theorizing because I just. It's a little bit boy who cried wolf at this point, you know. It's a, it's a little bit like, okay, I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna invest a bunch of time in like reading all these crazy theories or starting to believe like, well, hang on, this thing over here connects to this thing, and then the actual explanation will be, you know, it's Occam's razor. It'll be something really straightforward right. that doesn't actually require you to know 20 years of backstory or whatever. I mean, we saw that just in in one division just recently. Yeah. Where people talked themselves into thinking all sorts of things were going to happen that didn't happen. We saw that in Rise of Skywalker with with Ray, and and before that, I guess with you know the Last Jedi. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it doesn't pay to to, to no. think too much, but we, then it's also yeah. part of the fun of watching it, right? Right. We are one hundred percent setting ourselves up for disappointment. But yeah, uh, when she turns out to be Ray's grandmother, Ron, <laughs> I'm telling you, we're gonna we're gonna feel dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, it's, it's so tempting to buy into it because it's like, okay, well we had the little oh, clone, oh. we had the clone jars in Mando yeah. season right. two, right. you know, in the comics at the moment, Darth Vader's just gone to Exegol and seen a bunch of clone stuff set up. So it's yep. like, all right, well, but then also, you know, in terms of any connection to Palpatine, my vibe from that first episode was that the Kim, Kim, Kamen, Kamen, Owen, uh, Kamen Owens, Kamen Kamen, Owens yeah, Kamen, yeah, yeah. whatever, however, my vibe was that they were doing their own thing behind the scenes. Yeah. Like, okay. Oh, like when, yeah, when yeah. Tarkin showed up and he was like, yeah, Hey, this contract is over. Like we're, we're, yeah. not, we're done with the clone army. I mean, it didn't necessarily seem like him and the cloners were like on the same page. So, Right, and there's that moment with Nala say and the prime minister where they're talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, but the fact that that Omega has now gone with the Bad Batch, and uh, the Prime Minister, I think, says something like, "Until this this matter is rectified, let's mm. not say anything." So that mm. I think that probably plays into that idea that that nobody really knows that she exists or what her mm. abilities are or who she is or what she can she can do. So, um, yeah, they they don't know what the Empire's intentions are, and I feel like if they knew that Palpatine was up to something, or that this was like a special order, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Palpatine, yeah, custom order, right? Yeah, uh, that that he would have far more far more interest in her. But um, yeah, I do think it's going to develop that that as word gets out about whatever her um, her specialty is, that she will become a a target. She'll be she'll be hunted. Mm. I guess the other possibility is. You know, if she's not force sensitive, it, it it could be some sort of combination of mm. you know the bad batch's particular attributes in in you know one sort of ultimate 
clone, oh, you know. Yeah, so right, right. she because you know she shot that gun out of Crosshair's hands, as we said, which is you know using Crosshair's own sort of skills against him. Um, sure. Yeah, we haven't seen her obviously. Oh. Ex- sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I just that uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say we we haven't seen her sort of exhibit any like super strength yet, like Rekka has, but you know that that could develop. Um, she seems very intuitive. I mean, I guess that could be tied to like Hunter's like tracking. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, she's obviously very intelligent, like tech. Um, so yeah. we could that could be what's at at play here. But yeah, sorry, you you had a a, a thought there. Well, you 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 just made a good point, and I think that that uh, to sort of support that idea that maybe all of all of the attributes of the the Bad Batch are somehow present. Um, in Omega, go back and watch the scene from uh, the the end of the first episode when they get into the ship, mm. and not just the fact that that she's never been anywhere, which she says, uh, you know, she's never been off planet, never been anywhere, but when Tech is um, sitting there in the captain's seat, uh, preparing to fly, preparing to jump to hyperspace, mm-hmm. watch Omega because. She's not just watching him uh, do his thing as a pilot, pushing buttons and all these things. She's studying him. Mm. Go back and watch that scene. She's not Mm. just watching him do all of these things to prepare to jump to hyperspace. She's actually appears to be studying him Mm. and, and really making note of what he's doing what the procedures are like. I, I think that later in an episode, we're going to find that Omega having never left Camino, I get, or wherever that is, um, is going to some, some suddenly fly the ship or fly a mm. ship or something. She, she was studying tech. It was really interesting to watch. You go back and see just how, how, you know, intent her, her gaze is as she's watching everything that's going on. It was kind of, kind of interesting. So that could support this, this theory that, um, she's got, she's got a lot going on, a lot of different skills in a lot of different areas. Yeah. And the name is interesting too, right? Cause you know, Omega, obviously, you know, last letter of the Greek alphabet, we've seen it in pop culture generally mean, you know, the end of, of something. Um, Mm -hmm. but then at the same time that it, it, it makes total sense sort of, to us, the viewer, that she would be called that because as it happens, like if they're ending the cloning program and it looks like she'll probably be, you know, the last clone. So for her to be called Omega makes sense. At the same time, they didn't know that in universe when they created her. Like they didn't know Tarkin was going to show up and be like, hey, we don't need clones anymore. I'd rather have a guy in a, you know, a a conscript or, or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, maybe they had another reason for calling her Omega. And then I guess that that feeds into the, you know, if you see the other Bad Batch members is kind of building up to, uh, you yeah. know, Omega or something like that. But I, it, we'll, we'll find out, I guess. Yeah. And by the way, speaking of Tarkin's uh, inspection and his, uh, I love the way that uh, they are kind of addressing questions that we've all had about, you know why? Why did they move from from clones to you know re- regular the regular stormtroopers who seem to have individual uh, voices and personalities? You know when mm-hmm. we first met them back in Star Wars and other places. So it's fun to see them uh, kind of go back and uh, I, just explain how how that happened. It was it was kind of a 
I guess, an economic decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's cheaper and easier to, to use conscripts versus uh, to, to pay for clone armies. So it's, um, th- that's kind of a neat, you know, piece of the puzzle that gets, that gets put in, in place. Yeah, and because people have always sort of speculated that, right? That, like, yeah. it makes sense you would phase out the clones because, right. you know, there's like a 20-year period where they're not really fighting any wars or anything. So, right. you you know, like, if you're in charge of the whole galaxy, you, you may as well just use conscripts. But, yeah, to actually, as you say, to actually see that, you know, play out on, on screen is 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 really fascinating. Yeah. Um, just, on a, just on Omega, another cool thing about that is that they've got Michelle Ang, who is a, an actress from New Zealand, yeah playing that character um you know and obviously we've seen since the beginning of the clone wars d bradley baker voicing all of the clones and he does a great job in the sense that he he brings like a little bit of a different character to each of those clones which is really impressive at the same time as someone who lives in australia and has heard a lot of new zealand accent over the years the, the clone accent does great uh, a little uh, the, the fake New Zealand accent does great quite a bit um, so you know to, to hear a genuine uh, Kiwi Kiwi accent in there is uh, is appreciated oh good okay good 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 yeah I, you know there's uh, if you haven't seen it I think it was Entertainment Weekly uh, has a video with D Bradley Baker doing all of the voices in in rapid succession so it's fun to see uh, him do all of that stuff. And I, and I hope he's getting, uh, I hope he's getting paid, uh, uh, you know, for, for doing <laughs> six, seven, eight characters. I, I hope it's, hope it's worth it. And they're not yeah. just like, you know, uh, well, we're, we're just going to pay him once, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe he gets docked. Maybe he gets docked for the, for the grading, uh, New Zealand accent. <laughs> that, that is cool. She does have a great voice. She does have a great accent. I love it. Yeah, and it's so weird too because she's she, and like like all the actors from Australia and New Zealand who have popped up in in the Star Wars prequels over here we know her for she was in a soap opera called Neighbors which is like our version of ah. I don't even know what the American equivalent would be but you know something like the the Young and the Restless or the the Bold and the Beautiful or whatever wasn't Nicole Kidman on Neighbors back in the day everyone Everybody, who's ever been right? an actor yeah, yeah, in Australia yeah. has been yeah. has been on I know Neighbors, neighbors yeah. at some point yeah 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 yeah. yeah yeah so that was like her breakthrough and that was that was like over a decade ago. And like, wow. I, you know, I assume she's been doing a bunch of stuff in the meantime, but like, it's just not stuff that I've, I've seen. And then, yeah, all of a sudden that, that, that the name pops up in this and I'm like, where do I like, Oh, okay, cool. Um, That's very cool. Yeah. Do you think, I, I mean, I feel like it's, I can't remember if it was outright stated in, in the episodes or not, but I feel like it's implied from her having the accent, but she's like her, her sort of base genetic material is like, we're still dealing with a Django clone here, right? I think so. Yeah, I, I think, I think so. I think that's, uh, I think that's implied. Um, and then I've sort of other seen other theories that because this, the cloning has gone on so long that there's somehow some type of, uh, you know, degradation or thinning of the original genetic material. And maybe mm-hmm. that's why, uh, you know, she's got blonde hair and, you know, doesn't, doesn't quite, and he's female for one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but, but I think, I think she probably has to have, uh, some of, some of Django's DNA for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine it would make any sense if she didn't. Yeah. And we've seen, you know, female clones of male characters before in, right. um, you know, Marvel's done it in the comics a few times with like, uh, ultimate Spider-Man and, and Wolverine and, 
Um, I feel like there's more obvious examples that are slipping my mind, but yeah, it's not, it's not like a radical something that we've seen done before. So that, you know, right. That all checks out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how they, how they rectify that. I hope they explain it. I hope it's not one of those things where they just kind of let it go. And, uh, and we never really find out what her, what her true origin story is. And then we find out like three years later in a comic book. Yeah. In a comic. Exactly. I think, I think at least the beauty of like living in the era of Disney plus is like, at least we're not sort of depending on the whims of like a TV network or whatever, who just decides, you know, like a CW or something. Who's like, all right, this is done after one season. (laughs) And we never find out (laughs) like, even if Disney, even if Lucasfilm, Disney plus, whatever, even if they were to say, look, we're done with this show, they'd surely have the power to do like a a special that wrapped everything up or something. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we will, we will get some answers about, about Omega one way or another. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, the, I, I just remember the, the shot, the, the cinematography, uh, just stood out to me in, mm. in this episode in the scene where Hunter is telling Omega to go with cut and, mm-hmm. and family. And there's just this fantastic shot where the camera just sort of spins and comes down to their level and they both kind of move into the frame. And it's just mm-hmm. a really poetic, um, bit of choreography there that just uh i think is it just just tell shows me that how far they have advanced and elevated the art of of this animation it's really really a great shot if you go back and watch it it's it's pretty fun yeah there's some beautiful stuff in that second episode and yeah you know the, the second episode is obviously not sort of you know advancing the plot as much as the first episode or anything like that but yeah just as an animation showcase there's some there's some great stuff in there yeah, I, I think it's building. It's building this idea of family. It's building mm. the idea of what is at stake, mm. you know. And I think that you and building. I, I think there's a a key moment in there where um, it's 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 presenting uh, a situation to Hunter and, and showing him what it is to be. Apparent, and when yeah, that yeah. when that moment is is when um, Omega goes beyond the fence line to get the ball and is almost attacked by the creature. You probably know the name of it. I you know I uh, I, I don't I yeah it's yeah well you, you know what I'm talking about right? yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah and and he kind of he kind of goes overboard in in scolding her a little bit after that that moment and uh, and cut sort of like diffuses it like it's okay you know it's it everything's mm-hmm. fine and and uh it, it was kind of uh it was i think it was a learning moment for for hunter it was like mm. you know okay this is this is she's not a soldier right she's not mm. she's not one of your she's not one of your charges she's she's a kid and that takes a, a different touch than you know talking to one of your subordinates so uh, this this episode was about, um, you know, for for Hunter seeing himself in a different light. I think and mm. seeing seeing that seeing the life and the preciousness of life and the um, you know importance of of family, which is just something that he is completely alien to him. And so this was sort of that you know we're still in that exposition stage. I think of of this series. And, uh, and I think that's kind of what this whole episode was about. Mm. There was certainly some action to it, but it wasn't this nonstop 
uh, nonstop action that we've we, we've seen in other other shows and other episodes. And uh, so, yeah, I think this was this was the um, the relationship building part mm. of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, when you talk about a learning moment, like that's, that's exactly what we're talking about, right? With the parallels yeah. with the Mando, because, you know, again, right. it's like the learning moments aren't just for Grogu and Omega. They're for, you know, Hunter and Mando as well. Like they're learning stuff, you know, right. uh, as well as they go. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're a dad. I'm, I'm not a parent. Like, does that, do those moments with, with Omega, like when he, you know, when he kind of realizes like, yeah. oh, you can't, you can't actually, you know, scold a kid like that she's you know like does, does that sort of stuff ring true for you is like the, the yeah totally because it's yeah because it comes because it comes from a place of you know you want to you want to protect these little these little guys uh mm. and, and uh you know sometimes they're gonna just through their uh just dumb innocence are gonna do something <laughs> that could put themselves at at risk and so you you want to uh you you want to protect them you want them to learn from it uh, but at the same time, not be scarred by it. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of parallels. Whoever, whoever wrote that episode, I think probably has some, some parenting experience in their background a little bit. <laughs> it's funny as well. Like the, uh, you know, obviously we, we talked about the Mando parallels, but then I think there's parallels if we're talking about, you know, those sort of like mentor student kind of relationships, like uh-huh. really with all the, the, the Filoni Star Wars stuff, because it's, it's at the core of all of them is, you know, a mentor who hasn't quite figured out themselves yet, who is entrusted now with a student, like mentors who aren't necessarily ready to be mentors and, mm-hmm. and kids that they've got to take under their wing. I mean, you see that with Anakin and Ahsoka in the Clone Wars, where you don't really think of Anakin at that stage of his development as someone who should necessarily have a Padawan. But, you know, we see that relationship play out, play out over the course of the series. And then in, in Rebels, I mean, I feel like you could probably draw just as many parallels between the Kanan and Ezra relationship as you can between, you know, as you can with the, 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 the Hunter and Omega relationship. Um, so, yeah, it feels like all throughout Filoni's career, there's, there's, this is a theme he just keeps coming back to and, and exploring again and again. I wonder, uh, just, you know... The- just a guess here, but I wonder if there's there's a little bit of uh, exploring the the George and Dave mm. here going on, you know, mm. maybe drawing on some of those those early days, those early interactions, like you say, the uh, learning learning from the master kind of kind of moments. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because when you think of George in that situation, like when you think of George and Dave's relationship, to me it feels like it probably would have been more the you know, the Obi-Wan and Luke relationship where it's the very established right. mentor who is in no doubt of who he is and, you know, what he, what he needs to do uh, with the, with the student under his wing. But yeah, maybe, yeah. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that maybe like, uh, you know, everybody's always figuring stuff out about themselves, right? Well, Everybody's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe tapping into those early, uh, you know, f- imposter, uh, feelings, you know, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> from from a guy like Dave who who thought he was getting pranked when uh, when Lucasfilm <laughs> actually actually called him. I mean, that's kind of where he he thought he was thought, thought it was all fake. So so yeah, maybe there's maybe there's some some grains of uh, the, the the Dave uh, and George relationship that 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 show up uh, uh, are are playing out in some of these stories. I mean, that would make so much sense in the sense that like. I, I always find it interesting with with shows that have sort of kid characters, especially like this, where it's essentially a kid's show. Right. They've introduced 
the character of Omega, presumably because the thinking is like, well, it's a kid's show, so you need a kid character to be kind of the point of view for yeah. the kids. And I've, I've never, I don't know, I'm not sure I've ever really understood that. Like when I was a kid, I always kind of hated those characters in kids' cartoons because I think, um, uh, what's his name, Jules Pfeiffer, the like comics historian, wrote a, wrote a whole thing about this once where he was like, kids don't want to be Robin. Like kids want to be Batman. Like, why, why, do, why, why do we even bother with Robin? And it's like, I don't know. I, it's interesting, though, to think like, well, yeah, but I mean, part of it is obviously like have a character in there that the kids can relate to or whatever. But then, you know, what you were just saying is really interesting in terms of like, yeah, well, maybe it's also, just, though, that like, yeah, Dave Filoni sees something of himself in those sort of student learning from the master type, type characters. That is a good point, though. I, I'd be curious to, to know what the theory is for, for including a, a kid like that, because I remember, you know... I was four when I saw Star Wars and there were no kids in Star Wars and, mm. or, or Empire or, you know, and, and I, you know, I had no problem relating, relating to mm. those characters. I didn't, I didn't, you know, need, need a kid to be in it to feel like I had, a, I needed an, an on-ramp into the Star Wars, uh, freeway. Mm. Uh, and I do remember, uh, being highly annoyed it was one of the jurassic park movies maybe it was the second one where like two kids end up going on the you know be, being a part of the the adventure and it, it felt very uh forced to me uh for for some reason um well there's the two so, yeah. kids in the first one but i think it's like it's the second yeah, no. the, se- the second one is the one with like the kid who uses her aerobic skills to defeat raptors and stuff like that right Right, but I, 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 unless I'm mistaken, I don't think there were two kids in the the book version of the original Jurassic Park. Where I can't remember. Anyway, oh, I don't remember. I haven't read there, the there book. There was since something. I was a kid. Yeah, there was something. Something about it that just felt like the introduction of of kids into the story uh, always kind of feels a little forced to me. I didn't get that with the Bad Batch so much, but uh, but I, I totally see the point, you know. And, and I guess just having a, a, a young person uh, sort of ups the vulnerability and the, mm. the desire to, uh, to, to feel responsible for this person's well-being. You mm. know, you're, you're more of a protector role, more of a, a guardian. So uh, maybe you kind of have to do that in order to get, the you know the characters to sort of buy into to taking care of this little little person. Yeah, exactly. They really make a point in that second episode of saying you know she's not a soldier, so right, you right. know, and I'm sure we'll see that like play out and and really be you know a factor in, in upcoming episodes because you know it looks yeah. like they are going to be taking on sort of you know they'll have to do stuff to get by. Um, so it looks like they'll be taking on you know mercenary missions and and things like that, and they and they'll be the A team, you know, right. doing mercenary jobs, staying one step ahead of the empire and. You know, it'll be uh, when we'll see Omega, I guess, trying to trying to keep up, killing a crate dragon here or there, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we um, we talked about Kanan a second ago. Now, obviously, he he makes his uh, return to animation in the in the beginning of episode one of the Bad Batch when we see Kanan, a young Kanan, uh, you know, Caleb Dune and his master Deeper Balaba. Um, I don't know how much you care about this, but. There's been a bit of talk about the fact that like Balaba's death doesn't play out exactly the same way that it did when we first saw it in the comics. In the comics, um, yeah. although the broad sort of strokes of it are the same, but you know now same planet, but you know different circumstances, and and the Bad Batch are there now. Um, and this is something we've seen a bit just over the last twelve months or so. So you know the Clone Wars finale changed 
details that we knew about the Siege of Mandalore from the Ahsoka novel. Um, yeah. Cobb Vance's backstory in The Mandalorian um, apparently changed some details from uh, Aftermath. Um, and now we've got Balaba's death um, obviously being slightly altered as, as well. I mean, I guess two questions here, really. First off, do you think we're now back in the days of, you know, the pre-Disney days where the movies and the TV shows were like the top level, well, they weren't TV shows, but where the movies were the top level of continuity and the books and comics were sort of a lower level of of continuity that may or may not be followed by the movies? Yeah, yeah. And and secondly, do you think that matters? Uh, Honestly, I don't think it matters. I I didn't read the Kanan comic. Um, I've read some of the other ones. I, so so when this I, I did see this sort of debate erupt and and people were talking about oh well the, the even the the color of the trooper you know armor was different <laughs> and it was kind of like okay I you know I, I take your point uh, maybe it's not exactly as it as it played out uh, in in the comics but uh, for me now now this is going to be different if if you're a close follower of all of these things and you believe that. Uh, you know this idea that maybe maybe the story group is supposed to be coordinating all of these things to make sure that they're they're uh, it all in concert. Um, I you know I think that when you come to uh, a visual medium uh, like a show or or a movie that they're going to kind of have to tweak things to to make it the most compelling version of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think that. Uh, I don't think they, they they necessarily want to have their hands tied by by what came before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just I think that you know as long as they're not going too far uh, afield, um, t- to me it doesn't really matter. But I know that for some people it is going to be uh, sort of an offense that uh, that things don't line up exactly mm-hmm. as they're as they're supposed to because that was the the promise, right? That we were supposed to have this uh this continuity this continuity to it but i think that uh you know and and i'm completely guessing but i i just think that uh when the creators you know they're when they're when they're coming up with these stories and coming up with these versions of these stories um you know they want to be faithful but i I just i just think at the end of the day they want to make the absolutely best version that they feel that they need to make of of a certain event and that means that occasionally it might deviate from exactly what is written and and you know you can also explain it away by uh by who's telling the story right Mm, that mm. uh, that maybe maybe somebody remembered it a little bit differently maybe somebody's an unreliable narrator and so i think you can uh, kind of reconcile that a little bit if you think about it in that way, and not get not get too caught up in it, um, and just just enjoy the version that it is. Mm. Look, saying that you know it 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 alters to, it, it's different depending on who the narrator is. I mean, that's a great way to put it because then you can then then you can sort of retroactively act like it's a uh, a deliberate Rashomon Kurosawa reference. And right, yeah, yeah, sure. Now that may not be very satisfying at the end of the day to, to some people who who feel like that uh, they should be more faithful and more careful with uh, with the storytelling, but uh, but it is a way. It, I, I think it is a way to kind of rationalize it and just not get too caught up in it. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because it's sort of it's a little bit of a you know it's a slippery slope because there are things that that people get upset about when they're changed where it's like I I I can't. 
like I can't understand getting like the 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 one that that springs to mind is like uh, in the Mando season two when Ahsoka was brought into it. There were people who were like, "Well, Ahsoka looks different than she does in the in the in the cartoons." Like her, uh, right. I'm, I'm blanking on what what her like headpiece things are called. Oh yeah, right, but, right, right. But people were like, "Oh, they're longer in the in the cartoon, and that signifies such and such." And I'm like, "I right. don't doubt you, but it, but it's like when you're adapting things from." you know, one medium to a completely different medium. Like there's going to be things that, that change or that don't look good in, in live action and, and whatever. They are just practical. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, and then you go like, okay, but that, that's just a visual thing. But then I guess if you, if you look at those as like, like people were saying like, oh, but yeah, but the length of them signifies such and such. Like, oh, I guess that's in a way that's a story detail. Then that's changing. I don't, you know, I, and so then you go, well, I, I, you know, you get from that to like, actual story details changing in these. I mean, it's, it has, it's never bothered me before because it's always been stuff that I never read in the first place. So well, like, I, exactly. I, I didn't read Aftermath. I didn't read the Ahsoka book. So I was like, oh, the, is, that, is that different? Cool. The Kanan one is the first time where it's happened with something I've actually read. But having said that, like, it was years ago and like, it, was a, it was a good comic, but it's not like it was, you know. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, I, had a fr- I have a friend who is... Uh, a huge, I mean, beyond huge Ahsoka fan who was just, you know, she was, she was posting constantly about, uh, about the things you were talking about, the, you know, the head tails or whatever, mm. not being the right length and certain things here and there. And, uh, uh you know, for, for some people, I, I appreciate it. It's, it's, it is like their Bible and they feel, um, they feel, you know, offended when it's, when it's not faithful. I, I would argue though, that I think most, casual fans don't really care Mm. yeah (laughs) and that's you know and i think that's kind of where probably you know the creators are are coming from too it's like they want to be faithful to these things to to the extent possible but you know i i don't know the reasoning behind the length of the head tails thing but i could imagine you know being on the set and having to you know in a big action sort of piece that that there's some sort of practical concern to having things that are too long and mm. uh you know do they fall off are they too heavy like all mm. of these things kind of kind of kick in when you're when you're doing something in the physical world that uh that is different from animation so who knows but i i think that uh like i said most most casual fans are not going to um find that a, a high crime Mm. I'm uh, I'm placing my bets that the next thing from the comics or the books that's going to get changed, um, you know, and it's a shame that there's probably no Vegas line for this because I would I would bet everything I had on this happening. Uh, is that uh, the next thing that'll get changed? Is there was a Cassian comic a few years ago that showed how Cassian met K2SO? Okay. Oh, they're going to want to do their own version of that meeting on the Cassian Andor TV show. Sure. And that's cool. Sure. Like, because, yeah, yeah. you know, if you think about, like you said, the casual fan, if you think about the audience, like the amount of people that are going to watch that TV show versus the amount of people that read that one shot comic from four years ago. Right. And it, it right. does, it, you know, and it's such a pivotal moment in, in that character's story. Like, I, I feel like that's 100% going to be, you know, they'll do their own version of it in the show. I'm writing this down right now. <laughs> Rowan says, K2SO Cassian meeting will be different. <laughs> I'm going to hang it up on my wall here. Amazing. Very good. Now, uh, we, we talked about Omega a little bit earlier and, you know, the way that she, you talked about the way she, she was sort of studying, uh, you know, the piloting yeah. of, the, of the ship in, in episode one. I mean, what did you think of the moment in episode two when, you know, they step off the ship and 
oh. o- Omega sort of sees, you know, feels dirt under her feet for the first time. I, f- I felt a huge amount of nostalgia for The Force Awakens. Did yes. you? I mean, yeah. I've never seen yeah. this much green before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was uh, it was the same feeling. It was the same. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was it was her kind of uh, Ray parallel there um, walking off and, uh, you know, picking up the dirt, <laughs> picking up the dirt and playing with it and uh, just being just fascinated by by everything around her. Yeah, I thought it was a, a really really cool moment but it absolutely took me back to that moment with with ray just sort of eyes big seeing seeing all that green <laughs> never knew there was so much green in the galaxy right yeah 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 it's a little bit like do you remember like the monty python sketch where they're they're complaining about their um their childhoods and every every one of them is like saying that they, how their childhood was worse than the previous ones and right it's a right, bit right. like you know ray's only ever seen one topographical feature in her entire life it's like well omega's never been outside so outside, right, right, right. <laughs> never seen dirt, never seen, yeah. She's got, probably she's lot, got everyone beat. Probably a lot of rain. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, no, no organic plant life or, or dirt or strange creatures. And uh, boy, yeah, she gets all of that uh, in, in, in concentrated form, doesn't she? <laughs> Well, yeah, another character we, we touched on briefly before was uh, Saw Gerrera. Um, so, ah, you know, yes. the, the, the band gets sent on a mission to Onderon where they meet Saw Gerrera. Um, it seemed to me like they were trying to sort of find a halfway point here between, you know, the Saw that we saw in the Clone Wars and the Saw from Rebels and Rogue One. And, and I think it worked. Did it, did it work for you? Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think saw the the way that I kind of think about it is that saw, and and his various looks uh, in the in the different um, different places that we've seen him over the years is simply that he's on the run and he's like the ultimate galactic chameleon because he's got to mm. be right. He's he's got to change up his look. He's got to be, uh, you know, he wants to be incognito. He wants to keep people guessing. Um, so yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a, a good melding. I thought I thought he maybe in this could have looked a little more because now you know we we're we're used to Rogue One and mm. uh, that that's I, I and I sort of felt like they could have sort of pushed him a little bit more toward that look. But that's that's kind of how I approach it. I mean, people online have done all these side by side comparisons and uh, uh, again putting a lot of energy into something <laughs> that. Uh, that doesn't really bother me that much. And I just, you know, when I, when I think about it, it's just, uh, it's just that he's, he's trying to change up his look. He doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't want to, you know, I assume maybe the, his, his face is known everywhere. Uh, yeah. Among those that are hunting him. So uh, yeah, that's, how, that's kind of how I look at it. He's going to, he's going to change up his look to try, try and not get caught. That works for me. In- intergalactic man of mystery. So, so yeah, exactly. Era. Right. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And he's seen some stuff too, right? I mean, that's going to change you, the, you know, over the yep. years. I love that they used him for this, this turning point uh, moment, you know, where he says it's, you know, the, the old ways, the old ways are done. You can either, uh, I forget exactly how it's, adapt and mm. survive 
um, or you know, you can you can die with the past. I think he says. So it's kind of it, it was this great moment, and I was glad that he came back for that because he's just mm-hmm. such a a pivotal and important sort of linchpin in this entire this entire story. And it was it was cool to give that moment to a character that that we know and that we're familiar with. And uh, uh, it was it was cool to see him pop up. Like I said, even my wife, who is not uh, a particularly you know, doesn't, doesn't watch the animated stuff really at all. Um, instantly and, and notably, uh, noticed, uh, Saw Gerrera. So that was cool. Mm. Do you think, you know, now that we've seen Saw in the show and, and given the kind of time period we're dealing with here, do you think we'll see, you know, the, the beginnings of the rebellion in this show or? Yeah. Yeah. He, and in fact, he said that, uh, uh, the civil war is about to begin. He said, mm, mm, uh, and I noted that I wrote it down because that was, uh, I think the, the first time, you know, that he, uh, that, that, that idea is, is put out there. And so I think that maybe in the same way, you know, I, I kind of thought, well, maybe this, maybe they're setting up a sort of an eventual plot line where as the bad batch go about their, their adventures through each of these, I think, 16 episodes, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, slowly we, we may see sort of key players in the beginning uh, of the rebellion uh, maybe gather. And maybe mm. this is leading up to maybe this is leading up to some sort of uh, to, uh, final battle where we may see Saw again. We may see others that uh, uh, um, join join the fight or the, the, the nascent, uh, you know, beginning, beginning effort of this uh, the, this coming civil war that uh, leads leads to uh, the original trilogy. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we if we get that or or if the team is just so off like doing their own thing, avoiding yeah. the empire that we don't see a lot of that. But I I think you're right. right. I mean, I th- I think and I don't think they'll be able to resist you know seeding in those little those uh, you know little bits of, of world building right. and showing us the rebellion being born in in this time period. I guess the last major character that we haven't really talked about at all that we should we should uh, talk about quickly is uh, Crosshair. So yeah. you know, he goes into the series as as a member of the, a member of the Bad Batch, you know, ostensibly one of the heroes of the show. Um, I thought it was really interesting through the first episode. Obviously, it was you know clear that that his inhibitor chip wasn't um, that he was a little right. more inhibited than than the others. Uh, I, I, I guess uh, he was much more down with the whole idea of you know killing the Jedi, etc., than than the others yeah. were. And it, it almost seemed like through that first episode, like they were setting up maybe almost like a like a kind of heroic version of like the Megatron Starscream relationship where you've got, you know, the leader of the group and then you've got the guy under him just like constantly questioning him. Right. Obviously, towards the end of the first episode, we see he just goes full villain, I guess. I mean, yeah. do you feel like he's a villain or do you feel like he's a victim? I feel like he's a little bit of both because he is uh, his his way of being right now with with like you said how he he doesn't believe that uh, Hunter uh, killed uh, Caleb at the beginning mm. he, he he's questioning everything from the beginning so he's he's there uh, to add this this really great dramatic tension to almost almost every scene because you know that everything that kind of happens crosshair is going to be there to 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 question it and to the, the, I just his presence just 
gave me this this feeling of uh the team being in jeopardy like mm. all the time and i just, mm. i thought that was a very effective use of that character and his his skepticism and his you know you know that that he's far more uh, you know good soldiers follow orders he says mm. you know that there's always this um this chance that uh even before he he fully flips you know that there's always this this chance that he may do something unpredictable uh that's that's going to put these these people uh in danger and uh so it's going to be interesting i i feel like um this arc uh can't last the entire series i would give it you know a few more episodes maybe mm. and, and something happens where they are able to to rescue him and get rid of the inhibitor chip uh and have him uh come back into the fold because it, it is the bad batch right and he's part mm. of the batch he's part mm. of the recipe he's part of the, the the dynamic the mix that makes them who they are so i think cutting him out of that uh formula for too long um uh isn't something that they would want to do and so I, I feel like they'll they'll get him back fairly soon i would give it you know two to three episodes he may be the bad guy that hunts them for a while mm. you know, bounty hunter style yeah, that's interesting. It's uh, it's funny because you kind of think like if they are the A team in space, like you know, if they yeah. are this sort of team of crack uh, mercenaries, yeah. each with their own special skill, then you've got to have the sniper character in there as a member of the group. Yeah. But then on the other hand, I can see that maybe you know you, they could be looking at it from the perspective of like Crosshair's so like he, he's he's been shown to be such a good sniper that you know they're almost overpowered if they have Crosshair. On, on the team with them. Like it's all things are almost sure. too, too easy for them. And maybe that's why he's been, he's been taken out of the group. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think you're probably onto something in terms of like, you know, we'll get him as a villain for a little bit and then, and then he'll find his, his way uh, back into the, back into the team. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long they, they sort of yeah drag that out. Maybe it's later than I'm predicting, but yeah, it, that's it, it. It will be a, a fairly dramatic turning point when he finally comes back to, uh, to the right side, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. And I hope, I hope when he does, like if he does that, they don't lose all of the tension that comes with having him be there. Like in terms right. of, you know, obviously right now they've, they've amped up his chip. He's like, got to kill the bad batch. They've got to die, whatever. Obviously that's not tenable as a member right. of the bad batch, but you know, if, if they can, if they maybe just dialed it back down to sort of where he was when they got to Camino, where yeah. he's still questioning Hunter. He's not just like blindly following him. And yeah, the, that would add like a nice little bit of dramatic tension with the, with the group for sure. Cause at the yeah. moment they're all pretty simpatico, right? Exactly. Yeah. So having him be the, the kind of constant thorn in, in Hunter's side uh, will always kind of elevate the, uh, the, the sense of danger, the sense of tension mm. that, uh, that I think the series needs. So, yeah. On the other hand, he's such a good villain because they've shown how effective he is in these first episodes, yeah. like in the in the initial Clone Wars arc and then the first episode of the show. So now you feel the danger that the characters are in because we've seen how good he is at what he does when he was on their side. So, uh, yeah, whatever they do with it will be interesting. Yep. Um, any other characters from the Clone Wars or any other characters who we know are around in this time period that you're, you're really Ooh. hoping to see in upcoming episodes? Gosh, uh, who would be around at this time, roughly? Um, 
Well, I was, tr- I was thinking about this earlier. Like you've got obviously like Boba Fett's out there somewhere because he popped up in the Clone Wars and, you right. know, he's, he's out there right. doing his thing. Um, I guess we know oh. from the trailer that Fennec Shand uh, oh, is yeah, going to yeah. pop up at yeah. some point. Yeah, that's true. I am looking forward to Fennec. Um, I mean, Mon Mothma is a thing at this time already because she was cast for Revenge of the Sith and was in some deleted scenes in that. I mean, Darth Vader's out there. Anakin Skywalker's uh, out there, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he would be uh, fairly soon after this point. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you know what? That that makes sense. Darth Vader could uh, could certainly pop up in later episodes. For sure, yeah. Are we in the solo timeline territory here or not really? Right, that's about... That's later, oh, right? Like sort of 15 years or so yeah. after this. Okay. Because this is like immediately, like this is like, you know, the day yeah. after Revenge of the Sith kind of. Right, exactly. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I guess no. is why is why Saul looks closer to his Clone Wars appearance as well, because like mm-hmm. the Clone Wars just happened. Um, yeah, that's a good the, point. And then, yeah, we'll, 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 I mean, who knows if the show runs long enough, we might eventually start <laughs> to get, if they have, if they have some time jumps in there, we might eventually get up to uh, the solo time period. <laughs> exactly. Any other uh, any any other thoughts on this episode that we haven't um, we haven't covered? You know, I just I just loved the uh, the, the moments between uh, Hunter and Omega. I think they were really the, mm. the core piece of this. Uh, like I said, that shot where they say their goodbyes and we think that Omega is is off uh, with cut uh, is such a such a beautifully staged moment. Uh, just just really loved it and. Uh, yeah, I'm just sort of curious to see where where it goes. I'm really curious to see what happens with Crosshair. Mm. Uh, I love the Lola stuffy. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not a toy already, uh, it, it should be. And, uh, <laughs> and there you go. But uh, and that adds something a little. You know, we talked before about the characters being a bit two dimensional, but that adds a little something to Wrecker's character, right? Oh, like, sure. Having yeah, the, the stuffed yeah, toy. Yeah. Yep, uh, I love the sort of uh, solo parallel of having the ship, you know, locked anchored down by this uh, by this this thing that they had to that Wrecker had to eventually break off of mm. uh, off of the ship. Um, I guess we saw so- solo parallels this episode as well, just in terms of like seeing how difficult the Empire is trying to make like travel between planets, like the, oh, yeah, the degree great. of control that they're looking to have over the people coming, you know, off off and on on world. That's right. Having these these chain codes, these internet, these the sort of galactic uh, passport things. Yeah, uh, you, you're right. It introduces sort of this this um, bureaucratic uh, uh, roadblock to trying to go, you know, world to world, which is which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's wild that they've essentially got these sort of like blockchain style chain codes to identify people but uh but 20 years from now they still haven't figured out how to send plans in an email so uh it's you know the technology yeah, evolves at a different rate yeah, in this right, galaxy right 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 don't overthink it don't yeah, overthink yeah yeah don't 100%. Overthink it. <laughs> <laughs> so true no i'm i'm looking forward to uh to to watching it i i haven't watched episode two with my son yet we watched the first episode together um but uh but i'm finding it's it's not a prerequisite to, to sit there with a kid i think uh i think adults can enjoy the show and i'm i'm really curious to see where it goes over the next uh i guess we got 14 left right yeah yeah i'm, I'm finding the same thing like i when it when it when it was initially sort of revealed i was like oh look that sounds like it'll probably be very kid oriented and you know 
probably not really for me. I'll, I'll watch one and see how it, see how we go. At the same time, knowing that it's Lucasfilm Animation and Filoni's involved in some capacity, I'll probably yeah. get sucked in and end up watching it. And that's what's happened. I uh, I yeah. will definitely end up end up watching the, the rest of the series. It's yeah, it's been good so far. Yeah, and and the mu- we we haven't mentioned the music, but the music's been great. Oh yeah, uh, uh, lo- lots of great kind of throwbacks and and. Uh, I, I would, yeah. So uh, the the whole the whole thing, the, the the cinematic look, the animation style, the storytelling, it's 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 very much Star Wars, and uh, and I'm looking forward to see where they where they take it. Absolutely. Alrighty, Clayton. Well, where can uh, where can the people find you and and see more of what you're up to? Uh, mostly on Twitter is where I'll uh, keep people updated. Uh, at Clayton underscore Sandell, and then uh, yeah, again, you can check out a lot of my. Uh, previous Star Wars story work uh, when I was at ABC on my website, ClaytonSandell.com. And you'll see a little link to Star Wars stories up at the top. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And guys, obviously, you know, most of you listening would, would know this already, I'm guessing, but you can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, those sorts of places. Uh, you can also drop us a line at forcematerial at gmail.com. If you want to send us some thoughts about the show that cannot be constrained by the character limits of, of social media. <laughs> I'm Rowan Williams. I'm Clayton Sandell. And you've just taken your first step into a larger world. That was great. Thank you. Uh, and uh, go get some sleep. Good. <laughs>